You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. All right. Uh, hi, everybody. First, I should say uh, I am indeed honored uh, to be able to present to this assemblage. I know that Shulmut has had uh, sort of a varied membership uh, through the many, many years that's been in existence. Um, and I would say to be able, although this is not, we're not meeting together in the same room, but the idea of sharing the same sort of great stage that Shulmut has been uh, with so many people that I truly loved and admired. And finally, I get my chance, you know, I'm, I'm in my 60s, I'm finally getting a chance to be able to join uh, Johnny, who um, is still my closest friend in the my MS, but still, you know, I, I, I speak to him often. I, and, and I hope that uh, in some ways I, uh, I can uh, join this. Uh, not that, I, I know I won't make that pantheon of, of the greats like Johnny and others, but even just to be able to share in a Zoom way with this, it's very meaningful to me. It goes without saying, Yitzchak is, of course, um, a person that I've known um, for so many years. He probably doesn't want me to say how many uh, how many years it's been. I know you don't want. However, um, it's been so long, and, and, and we go back in such a deep way between Yitzchak and his family, that uh, uh, without any uh, false um, sort of way of trying to butter him up, uh, he, this indeed is something that, uh, is, is, is something that is great and magnificent that you have done and, and you've kept at it all these years and you look exactly the same, you know, I mean, you, it's, it, it's, 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 it's amazing. It really is. Uh, you still, you still got those bekelach. So the point is, is that, you know, Johnny, Yitzchok and really everyone here. So I'm really deeply honored to be here. Now, let me start getting to the meat of what we want to discuss, which is, of course, these two men. Uh, in, in many ways, one could say that the whole gamut of Jewish thought uh, could really be seen between uh, the dialectic between these two. You know, I know there's, of course, the Rashi and the Tosfasos, and, and of course, there is the Kabbalists and, and others, and of course, the Ramban is, in a sense, one of the first Kabbalists. But in many ways, the, the learning of, of these two, the contrast, the, the incredible uh, scope of areas that they both covered in, some, in, in, in similar but very uh, subtly different and, and sometimes very distinct and, 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 and very wide difference ways, uh, I believe is, is, is one of the uh, gateways to the totality of Jewish thought, not just medieval Jewish thought uh, in a philosophic way of what was what were the Jews about uh, in the Middle Ages. It really continues. They, they both really continued to live. You know, Rav Salvechik was, uh, uh, they once came to Rav Salvechik, I think it was the 950th um, yard site, uh, the, the day of that the Rambam had died. Um, somehow they knew exactly, or the, or the year the Ramadan they did in 1205. So this was in 1955, I believe. So 1955 was not the 900th; it was the um, the 700th and um, right 1205, 750th yurt site of the Rambam, um, and of the Rambam's year of his death. 
So they wanted to dedicate the whole year of 1955 to Rambam ideas. And they asked of Salvechik, who, who probably was one of the 20th century's um, most cogent explainers of the Rambam. And he said to them, sort of tongue in cheek, he said, the Rambam's dead? <laughs> you know, I don't see the Rambam is dead, that we now have to somehow put up some sort of edifice. The Rambam lives. Uh, and I think that in, in many ways, that was, that was true with, for Rav Salvechik, for the Ramban as well. In fact, as his son said, uh, when Rav Salvechik died, his son gave a hespit 30 days later. I'm talking here about Joseph Dove Salvechik, Yosha Bear Salvechik from Boston. Uh, the Rosh Hashiva NYU. I think, you know, many people consider him the premier uh, Talmudist uh, of the 20th century. And when his son, Professor Chaim Salvechik, he should be gesund, uh, spoke uh, at the Shloshim, he mentioned that although the uh, Maimonides, the Rambam, I'll talk about that in a minute, uh, was Rav Salvechik's Girsa de Ankasa. It was Rav Salvechik's youthful um, fairy tale stories or nursery rhymes that were in his head and that he remembered at the top, at the drop of a hat. Sort of like I remember all the TV jingles of the 60s. I mean, I, I could, you know, it's like that's what Rav Salvechik was chewing on when he was a little boy. It's therefore, he knew every Ramban. But the Ramban, when he discovered the Ramban, as he got older, he was able to see in the Ramban, in Nachmanides, his true nefesh, his true uh, guide for thinking. That doesn't mean that he didn't care about Maimonides anymore. He worked very hard at explaining what Maimonides meant and what Maimonides would have felt and thought. But Nachmanides, in his mind, uh, was something that spoke within his heart, spoke to his mind, spoke to his basic approach in, in, in learning. Uh, so... Again, the, the fact that Salvechik was so enamored of the two doesn't necessarily mean we should all be. But I think taking him as a primary, serious Jewish thinker, who was probably one of the broadest intellectual people uh, that walked the face of the earth while he was alive, you can see that these two forces were sort of the forces that motivated him. And in that spirit, I'd like to just share with you something about them. And in a way, as we said, the dueling onides. First of all, I'd like to really throw out the Anadis, to tell you the, the truth. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a really, it's a throw back to Greek. I don't think it's Latin. Maybe it's Greek and Latin. You know, the idea of referring to each one with the patronymic uh, of their fathers. Rambam, of course, Maimon. And Nachman, of course, was Rav Moshe ben Nachman, Ramban's father. As we say, Ramban, Reish Mem Beis Nun, Rav Moshe ben Nachman, Reish Mem Beis Mem, the Rambam. So speaking to them as, as, as their father's son. Both, I don't know much about Nachman. I do know a lot about Maimon. And I know that the Rambam dearly loved his father and, and felt his father was a courageous, brave person. And I think one of the, besides saving his life in terms of escaping uh, from the uh, crucible of Spain through North Africa, part of the reason the Rambam felt so, you know, his father was a Dayan. His father was a judge. His father was someone he looked up to. And I think what he loved his father the most for was the fact that his father took good notes at the yeshiva. Uh, his father was, um, was had the schus 
to be a student from uh, Rabbi Yosef Migash, Rabbi Yosef Ibn Migash, or Migaish. I don't know, it's, it's, it's hard to know exactly how to pronounce where this was, but this was in uh, North Africa and uh, in, uh, in, in, uh, in, in Tunisia, perhaps. Um, again, you have to know where the yeshiva was. But the notes that, that his father had represented for this man, the Rambam, his, the building blocks of his intellectual thoughts, at least as far as Talmud went and as far as Halacha went. So he had the notes from who was, the, Yosef Migash was the greatest teacher in North Africa at the time. When, when Rambam's escape from Spain through North Africa, he was able to study those notes and really, in many ways, uh, to build himself. And he built himself uh, through his own learning. But as I, I mentioned to Yitzchak earlier when we were discussing this, it was a learning that was quite lonely. It was a learning that he had his father as a model, and he quotes his father maybe two or three times as far as I'm familiar with, but mostly it was from his own reading and his own understanding of what he was reading. And uh, of course, his, his interests were um, way beyond what we would call the, the strict aspects of Jewish law. In fact, he was very, as, as, a, as a young man who was part of an originally, uh, of a sort of a tolerant Arabic culture, he was able to absorb as you know, and I'm sure many of the people here are aware of this, and I, and I apologize if I'm speaking down to anyone things they don't know, but it was able to absorb in, in, in great fashion uh, a lot of what was considered the standard philosophic knowledge. Uh, we would call it Aristotelian uh, philosophy, but it was filtered, of course, through the Arabic lens. Now, that didn't just mean that it was Arab terminology. The Arabic lens was a religious lens. Part of the, 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 the area that surrounded the Rambam was an area before it became um, radicalized and the Rambam had to flee Spain and make his way across North Africa. The influences that he was open to were those of very tolerant uh, religious Muslims. And they, they, it wasn't just that they were tolerant, but they worked very hard at trying to explain philosophically the basis for religious adherence and also for religious beliefs like that there is something called prophecy and that which of course goes totally counter to Aristotelian thought the idea that a human being could actually get direct commands from God to do anything was something that the Aristotle didn't believe that. And Aristotle didn't believe that God really had God, even in the way we understand a God as a creator. And all of that was things that uh, the, the Rambam was able to think about, not only, only through his father, but by the tolerant Arabic teachers that he had um, that were also, although they practiced a different religion, they had articulated for the Rambam a pure sense of monotheism and also a pure understanding of how prophecy it makes sense philosophically, how, which means how does a human finite being, how is he able to connect and get messages from an infinite creator? So, Avramel, 
I'm so sorry, but your sound is a little bit muffled because I think your microphone is touching your shirt. Okay, is that better? Let me see. Um, let me try to make it better. Much that better. sounds amazing now. Yeah, uh, pick it off your collar. That's that's the problem. It's rubbing against your collar. Okay. Is is that better? Is it making the noise now? A bit closer to the mouth, maybe. Okay, a little closer to the mouth. Okay, I'll try. Yes, I, I did notice that on some of the recordings. Okay, thank, thank you. So no, no. Okay, so therefore, <laughs> I would say that you know the Rambam in the Olam Ms, so to speak, would probably not be so upset that he's known as Maimonides, <laughs> because in many ways, Maimon and 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 what how he raised his son had a lot to do with producing this person. Um, but I think that the, um, you know, uh, as far as Nachmanides, though, you know, that, that Greek uh, sort of uh, Aristotelian sense, I think the Ramban would probably, you know, he's probably, if, if he was a grumpy fellow, he probably says, what are they calling me Nachmanides for? I'm, you know, again, I, I, I'm Moshe Benachman. Because, you know, again, he, he obviously was coming from a whole different perspective, not the perspective that, you know, the, the Greek, Aristotelian Arabic thought, and therefore I'm going to refer to them, and this is all a way to get to this, as the Rambam and the Ramban. And I always tell my students that uh, the, the, what I use, since I'm a child of the 60s and the Flintstones, I think about, think about Bam Bam, Rambam. When you have, remember Bam Bam? It was the, uh, it was the, um, Bam Bam was the, was the Rubble's uh, uh, child. Bam Bam, Rambam. And Ramban is more soft. So there's Rambam and Ramban. Okay? So that's the way, I, that's my memory device to get them, uh, to get it uh, uh, aligned. Rambam, Ramban. So clearly, um, you know, the Rambam is a very different person. Um, and, uh, and, and his, the magnificence of his accomplishments are all the more uh, it, 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 remarkable uh, considering the uh, the lack of teaching that he had, you know, he had a father who was a dyan, but still wasn't able really to engage with him and be his main teacher. Um, he had a brother who was involved in business who helped support him. His brother David helped support him, but most of it was what he was really gaining uh, from his own learning and, and understanding. I'm going to put in a little parentheses right here. And, and, and I know we're going to get to the, the meat of some issues here, but the parentheses I want to put in here is that there have been some that have theorized, and it was famously by Abraham Geiger of Ram Geiger and others, that there was a period in the Rambam's life that during this, you know, this dark period of escape in North Africa, where the Rambam and his family actually lived as secret Muslims and or actually secret Jews, as open Muslims and secret Jews. There, there has been a theory, and it was quite popular in the mid-19th century. Um, I, you know, again, Geiger is worth a whole sheer in himself <laughs> about Geiger. Uh, you know, Geiger was, was so brilliant and, and in many ways uh, opened up new areas of, of Jewish, of thinking about what we call Haskola thought or the Wissenschaft, the Judentums, but he had an incredible agenda, you know. He had an incredible agenda, and it was it was to his uh, 
benefit to sort of like to to raise the the supposed proofs that the Rambam spent a period where he wasn't really practicing Judaism openly, where he was under wraps, and that sort of helped form who he was. Uh, and he and, and in many ways he sort of had to live with the stigma of of having not only absorbed from the non-Jewish world, but actually walked among them as a non-Jew. Again, I, 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 it's hard for me to accept it completely. It doesn't really make much of a difference to me, even if it's true. However, I just wanted to mention that, just at least to, 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 to give you a sense of how different these men were. Now, eventually, we know, uh, you know, the Rambam uh, is, 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 you know, the Rambam is, in many ways, after his scholarship, in terms of the intensity of his scholarship, what motivates him in large part is to better the world, to better the study of Torah in the world, and, and, and to make sure that most of the world, the Jewish world, would be able to learn and understand principles of the Torah. Um, he has a very, and that was clearly what was consuming him from the age of 25 years old. Because at the age of 25, he already started what was uh, uh, an incredible work because five, most of it was done as he was going from place to place. And that, of course, was his commentary on the Mishnah, which he felt could be an option for, for, for the average learner. The Rambam, and this is really one of the things that I think is frustrating about people who study the Rambam, that he operates on two levels. All of you know that, of course, the Rambam, at the end of, towards the end of his life, wrote a book of philosophy called Mora Anavuchim, a guide for the perplexed. And this, of course, was a book that he says in the introduction was aimed for one person, Rabbi Yosef Ibn Ankin, for one student, that was the one he was giving the, uh, he was writing the whole book for, was for that one student. Now, that is, is really a way of saying, I don't care if many of you aren't listening. I don't care if many of you aren't going, are going to reject this book. In fact, this book is going to be for the philosophical elite. And I'm going to make it so tough and difficult to understand that the first two sections are boring and 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 are going to be uh, are going to take uh, your wits and I'm going to write in a way as Leo Strauss has pointed out that's going to be com- supposedly elliptical and cryptic so you wouldn't really appreciate the work because this way the only people that will be there at the end where the book really soars are the ones that have gone through uh, f- the system philosophically and properly so the the Rambam did write that book. Again, parenthetically, there have been uh, throughout history, just like Geiger waved this flag, there has been others that have have tried to say that they can't believe the Rambam actually wrote this book. It it has such heretical ideas that there's no way the authors are the same. The author of the Mishnah Torah, the Yada Chazaka, the the book that codifies Jewish law, yes, Rabbi Yaakov Ebdin, right? He says that um, that uh, that that is, uh, and again, it's it's it, it really reflects more about the great chasm between these two books, and that's really part of what I think it needs to be understood. The Rambam writes differently when he's writing in the Mishnah Torah; he's writing for everyone. 
and and therefore there's there there are contradictions in fact contradictions philosophical contradictions now big people are able to align philosophical contradictions you know sort of salvation just to give you a modern case would many times answer to one person one answer and the person the next person who asked him the question he would answer in completely opposite in the same way the rambam writes for an elite in Mornavuchim, in a way that he doesn't in Mishnah Torah. In Mishnah Torah, he is writing in a much broader, general way. And he really hopes and prays. And you can see he wasn't successful, but he hoped and prayed that this book would be the imprint for the average person, the average intelligent person. Um, and, and it would be the, the handbook and the book that you would uh, hold on through from the cradle to the grave as your book of understanding. And therefore, uh, uh, you know, he, this was the incredible wide scope he wanted to do. But now, that's the Mishnah Torah. Before he wrote the Mishnah Torah, he was young. And he thought of another way, which is sort of like the Rambam's first attempt. And his first attempt was to translate the whole corpus of Mishnayot into Arabic and to explain it. Now, you know, the, years from now, people will be singing the hosannas of Art Scroll and Adin Steinsaltz, and maybe they already those hosannas uh, should be sung because of how it has opened the Talmud to people where it was a closed book before. The Rambam understood, just like Sadia before him, I know you've heard it from, about Sadia not that long ago, that it was crucial that the idiom, uh, the expressive idiom that Arabic had become serve to embody the ideas that were found in the Mishnah and the Talmud that, that explained and developed the Mishnah. So at the age of 25, while he's traveling, who knows where, from port to port, he's putting together a commentary on the Mishnah along with uh, the introductions uh, and to the Mishnah. These introductions by themselves are masterpieces of, 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 of and, and, and they really bespeak sort of the same sort of philosophic thought that you see in Moranavucham, although clearly in some ways it's a little more, um, he's more, he's less original, <laughs> you know, in, 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 in this commentary on the Mishnah. But the point I'm trying to make is, is that he felt that the commentary, the, if we can get people to study this, this book, First of all, the literacy of, 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 of the Arabic-speaking world, which he believed was most of Judaism. Unfortunately, you know, without an internet, without newspapers, and without really knowing what was happening, he wasn't aware of the vibrancy of life in Europe. He thought it was all barbarians. Uh, and therefore, to him, a book that tra- a book that was written in Arabic uh, was sufficient and crucial. So that was his commentary on the Mishnah, which he explains every Mishnah and also explains the halacha that, er, that you should follow. So at age 25 to 30, he thought he didn't need to write a big, expansive book because you could really learn his Mishnah and extract from there a lot of the ways a person should act in Jewish life. Something happened because after 30, he shows up in uh, he comes to uh, uh, Fostat 
in uh, in what's called in a, a suburb of Cairo in Egypt. And it's there that the other ideas start building in his head, which is to write this massive work, which is more than the Mishnah, because although he feel, he feels he did a great job opening the Mishnah up, this shows you the 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 the, the courage and as some people my people say, the arrogance of the Rambam. He felt that the book was flawed. The Mishnah has six sections, and many of the sections um, sort of strangely deal with topics that are that shouldn't be there. He felt there was there was that there was there was there wasn't a logical progression, and it, it was therefore in a sense confusing. So he has the the idea, of course, of building something even bigger, and that is his own version compiling the totality of Jewish law. And I know you've heard this story before. What I want to bring out is this, that, that he was a, a, a person of extreme confidence in his own mental acuity and power of understanding. And that is something, and now I'm going to get to my point, that the Ramban, Nachmanides, did not buy into. Now, he he definitely believed he was dealing with a major size mind, but he did not was he wasn't ready in any way, shape, or form to allow Maimonides, the Rambam, to be the ultimate last say about anything. In fact, again, let me let me illustrate this. The Rambam says in, in, in Hilchas Talmud Torah, the laws of study of Torah, the Rambam says that when a person is young, he needs to divide his time a third in the Pentateuch, in Tanakh, a third to be doing the Mishnah, and a third of his time should be the Talmud. Now, the Rambam expected a person to work and to go out and, and, and have a living, the Rambam says that he believes that a person could, pro- the average person could probably learn five or six or seven hours a day. <laughs> That's what he thought. Um, uh, he didn't understand perhaps the uh, the modern rat race uh, of what our employees employers expect from us. However, the Rambam really conceived of what work could be, and the Rambam said, split it into three. The Rambam then says. When is that? When you are beginning. But as you get older, you actually shift towards Talmud. Now, what does that mean, shifting towards Talmud? It doesn't mean shifting towards Dafyomi, the Rambam says. Talmud is the ideas behind the halachos, the concepts, the depth, the point that can connect uh, subject matters that seem to be extremely different finding the ultimate element that bonds them. Now, people who learn Talmud know that that's what the Talmud does all the time. The Talmud will ask from Shvius, the laws of Shvius, to the laws that have to do with uh, with damages. They will ask from the laws of Shabbos to the laws of Tum and Tahara. They will constantly find, the Talmud constantly finds parallels. Uh, the Rambam thought that all of us can do that, and all of us are able, if we are given the idea in an articulate, cogent, exact manner. If I can describe this principle to you, this is a principle of Jewish law to you, you could actually expound for hours in your mind and connect it to a wealth of other ideas. 
That is what the Rambam said a Talmudist is when he's a mature person. He spends all his time thinking, and, and this is where the arrogance comes in, in, in the Ramban's mind, in this book. The Rambam felt that his book itself would be sufficient. And it was, in other words, he had become successful in articulating the definitive manner in which, from his point on till the end of history, people should be thinking about these concepts. And, 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 and the, it's clear from the Rambam's son's letters that, because we know that, and again, this is not about the Raivad, but we know that the Raivad and others, Avram ben David of Pascaris, we know that they, uh, the criticism against the Rambam, and of course you've heard this before, is that the Rambam was trying to uh, stamp out the Talmud, and that the Talmud, although he had written uh, a commentary on the Mishnah, which referenced the Talmud consistently, um, and in Moranavuchim, of course, he quotes many passages from the Talmud, this was the argument against him that he, in this book, had he been successful, he was trying to stamp out the study of Talmud. Now, the Rambam defended himself on similar grounds from what I just said a minute ago. There is a much more revealing statement, though, from the Rambam's son, Avram ben Arambam. Avram ben Arambam, the Rambam, I don't know much about the Rambam's married life, but I know that the Rambam died when he was 70. This is the tradition. He was born in uh, 1135 and died in 1205. There's some that say that that is not true. He actually died when he was 68. And again, the Lubavitchers and others will tell you that he lived 70 years like, like David. He had the 70 years of his life. He had exactly 70 years. He was the perfect man in that way. So I'm going to say he died when he was 70. He left when he was 70, an 18-year-old son. That was Avram ben Aramba. And Avram ben Arambam, we know from the Rambam's descriptions of his life and his letters, and his and again, you know, I, I've mentioned three major works, uh, Mishnah Torah, Parashah Mishnah, and Maranavuchim. The other section of the Rambam's oeuvre is, is his letters, his igris. And if you really want to find the person of the Rambam, the personality of the Rambam, the passion and the anger uh, that's where you're going to find it, the, the Igeris and Shuvas of the Rambam. Now, in those letters, he writes about um, uh, his day, and he writes about that he has no time. He writes about how tired he is because of his ministering as a, as a doctor to the sultan. Again, I didn't mention here, some of you are probably saying, why aren't you mentioning the Rambam's uh, works on medicine, which have been printed. And um, I, I read recently, I, I can't recommend the book completely. Um, and Zev, I did speak about this uh, a couple of minutes ago, uh, about the, the, about the, um, about the, the this discussion, whether he had been a, uh, a convert to Islam before. The Rambam's medicinal works. Um, uh, I, I read a book by Sherwin Newland, I know that name is probably familiar to some of you there. Uh, he wrote a very moving book called How We Die. Uh, you, some of you might have read it. I, again, it's very depressing, but I, I, I can recommend it. He was a, I don't know if he's alive anymore, Sherwin Newell. I don't think so. But he was, uh, he wrote uh, a number of books. 
anyway, he wrote a book about the Rambam uh, and the last uh, 40 pages, a doctor he was, is, is dedicated to the Rambam's own uh, medicinal works. Uh, I, I can't comment on that. I know what Sherwin Newland said. He said that, they, that he showed great proficiency, but he was pretty much a synthesizer. He wasn't an inventive uh, doctor. Uh, he didn't invent any new great treatments, um, but he was a person who was very aware of what knowledge was. And that part of it had to do, of course, with the nature of what medicine was. You can see the Rambam's medicinal mind in many sections of Mishnah Torah, especially in Hilchos Deus, when he talks about how to eat and how to live uh, a healthy life. Okay, that is true, but that book is really a helping book to the Morinavuchim, the Milas Hegelion, which is really a book that he wrote to help people through the the sort of structure of uh, of what he wrote in Arabic, the Milas Hegelion, which is really logical terminology. The Rambam struggled in a way that the Ramban did not. Uh, the, the Rambam was very um, uh, was a prisoner to language. Uh, again. He, he Arabic was crucial in his life, as we know. Not only did he, writing the Parsha Mishnah and this, and the uh, Moranavuchim in Arabic, uh, the Mishnah Torah itself, the Rambam in, tells us in his introduction to the book on mitzvos that the Mishnah Torah he decided to write in a language he calls Mishnaic Hebrew, Lashon HaMishnah. Uh, because he says that the language of Tanakh was not a language that was w- large enough. The same thing that Ben Yehuda and all the 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 the, the uh, fathers of modern Hebrew knew that they needed to do a number in order to expand Tanakh. The Rambam felt he couldn't use the language of Tanakh, and the Rambam therefore uses Mishnaic Hebrew, which he hopes his audience is familiar with, because he's he's made the Mishnah such a, a handiwork to them, and the Rambam therefore cra- crafts a a work uh, out of the Mishnah Torah out of Mishnaic Hebrew, and. There are uh, people who know the study of language that will tell you that the Rambam in this way has been someone who has uh, developed the, the, the Hebrew language. The Mila Sigoyon that Miriam was talking about, the mentions in the chat, uh, was something the Rambam felt was necessary because he had to sort of invent logical terms uh, uh, it, it, that, well, if he didn't invent them, but they were part of the Arabic way of speaking and um, they were they were terms that philosophers used, and he wanted people to know. Um, that's true. Fred Rosner did translate it, and again, like I said, uh, I, I, I am not, again. I, it, it's it's it, it's it's really not in my wheelhouse whatsoever at all. Uh, his medical things, but I do. But you do see in Mishnah Torah through Ilchos Deos that medical ideas. What I wanted to really bring out, and this is the way you get, I get sidetracked, is that his son really had very little um, involvement with him. By the time his son was born, the Rambam was, was so busy, based on the, his own uh, description, that it, it seems to me that, that they did not have the chance to really to give over to his son 
the principles of his thought the way a father would love to do that. However, his son did observe, and as a young boy observed what the Rambam was doing. And he describes the Rambam's yeshiva. They were lucky to get eight or nine students every day. Can you imagine that? Infastat. That's that's what it was about. It was it was eight or nine students who were maybe able to get. Um, that was the um, that was that was the Rambam's yeshiva, right? <laughs> Today, you know, I was in Rav Nochem Partsovich's shear in the mirror, and and there was you know two hundred guys there, one hundred and fifty, two hundred guys. I had to, I had to, um, I okay, I'm going to explain that in a second. But part of it was because. The idea of having the time to learn was something. Fastat, despite the fact that it was a bustling a city, it was the, play, the the seat of the caliphate in some ways. But you know, there was there was a strong Karite presence. They weren't interested, uh, and 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 the idea of really spending time with this man to study uh, the his work, which is what they did. His son says people had handwritten copies of the Rambam's book, sort of like when the professor comes to uh, class and says, everybody, did you read my book? OK, we're going to take out my book. Right. T- today, we would consider it, you know, what the guy doesn't want to do any work. Right. OK, everybody. I wrote this book. I want everybody to have my book. Uh, OK, it should be over there. That's what that is what they were doing. That's what his son says. His son says that when there was a, a, an argument they had one sh- uh, one uh, manuscript copy. Um, that is a very good point. I'm going to get that in a second. They had a, a manuscript copy of the Shas, and that's what they would look into in order to sort of like squelch the arguments. Whereas, of course, is the opposite of what has occurred. What's occurred instead is that we study the Talmud and then we go to Maimonides' Mishnah Torah to sort of see his perspective. In the Rambam's yeshiva, it was the opposite. So to answer what I was talking about 15 minutes ago, he was not trying to obliterate Shas, but he definitely felt that it was messy. It was in many ways, it was a labyrinth that many people couldn't navigate. And in his own instruction of students, he did not instruct out of the Talmud. He, he, it's, there, is, there does exist, there's been a debate, whether it's truly from him, a manuscript that says this is the Rambam's commentary on the Talmud of the Masechet Rosh Hashanah. I, I, I have my doubts whether that is truly written by him. But that really gives you a scope of where he was coming from. And really, the fact that the Talmud, although it is, it is, it is, is hovering in a way, over everything the Rambam wrote, in many it's not necessarily informing it. The, the Talmud is really, the Rambam is, is an expert in the Talmud, but his book is not the Talmud in a different dress. The book is really his concepts uh, that he has garnered from the Talmud and, and refashioned in a way that he believes is will, will give you a greater efficiency in knowing the totality of Torah. Now, I see Walter has asked a very, uh, I think, a very s- smart question here. Um, why was it that Avram ben Arambam is known as a mystic more than his father was? Okay, so the first answer, I think, is what I'm saying is correct. 
where did he go to after the Rambam's death? So many people have already uh, have done research on this and have shown, and you don't really need to be Einstein to see this or Sherlock Holmes, that, that Avram ben Rambam's works, uh, and especially his, his defense of, 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 were very much influenced by Islamic mysticism or Sufism, the Sufis. The Sufism was something that the, the Avram ben Arambam uh, really uh, absorbed. He felt that this was something that answered questions for him. Uh, in, now, he uh, saw himself as the defender of his dad, and he answered questions from Iraq, from, from Rav Daniel Ababli and others. So, but as, as I would say, and again, it's, 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 it's my opinion, that he is not the best arbiter necessarily about what his father really felt. Um, he, he ended up becoming the defender, and, in, and, he, and he was given, and I'm not sure if he deserved it completely, but he was given the, the title of Nagid, in other words, the leader of the Jewish community by the sultan. But he, talk about you know, filling shoes that were much too big for him. You know, he, you know, he, he, he deserves to be studied and understood, but he, in many ways, yes, again, it's possible that the Rambam's connection to Sufism was more scholastic than actual. Uh, Avram ben Rambam really felt that they had something. And, and there are elements of Sufi mysticism uh, within uh, Avram ben Rambam's book, uh, that, that was written in Arabic as well. However, you know, again, I was just really off topic. I do believe that it's crucial if there are sections of Mishnah Torah that I do believe are essential with uh, having Avram ben Arambam's Arabic reworking. Actually, he wanted to rework the whole Mishnah Torah in Arabic. Um, and, and, and that was his idea. And um, as you can see, that was part of the... Okay, I, enough about... Okay, so that's about, uh, again... Can I, well, can I interrupt for a moment, please? Yes. Whether it's in, in the chat, publicly or to you privately, or, or spoken, please let's we'll have questions later so we can have you finish what you want to say. And okay. And then afterwards. Okay. I, 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 but you know what, Yitzchak, uh, these questions are so uh, to the point, and I think really on target, that even though I'm trying to feel them as Thank I you. see them... Right. I, I, I don't, I think the narrative is still flowing, right? I don't think, I don't think we've gone down the rabbit hole yet. <laughs> okay, let me get to Nachmanides now. Let me get to the Ramban. I don't want to say Nachmanides because I think he's turning over the grave. I'm saying Nachmanides. <laughs> so, right, but okay. So Ramban, all right. So in order to illustrate this, I want to, um, I'd like to sh- show you something inside. So I'm going to share my screen with you. And... Let's, oh, did I share it yet? Oh, here we go. Okay. And I'm going to, uh, here we go. Okay. So this is uh, the, the Ramban's Hakdama to the Sefer Mitzvot. I apologize again. Again, I, 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 I realize we're dealing with a, uh, a, a very learned and interested audience. I'm not sure if everyone is, is, uh, is, proficient in rabbinic Hebrew um, and uh, somewhat poetic rabbinic Hebrew. 
you know, introductions to work are sometimes the most important places to find intent of the author. And the author many times, as is the standard style in an introduction, is to uh, link together a whole bunch of different uh, poetic phrases. So you really have to know how to read this. It's, it's, it's poetry and um, a thesis at the same time. Um, uh, the Ramban's introduction to uh, his work. Now, this work is 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 meant to criticize the Rambam. This was a book that he wrote ostensibly defending the Rambam's uh, targets. But really, it acts mostly as a criticism of, of the Rambam. Now, it would take a long time to go through the history of this literature, which is mitzvot, counting mitzvot literature. In Hebrew, we'd say monea mitzvot, uh, the Taryag mitzvot literature. It's a, it, it would be very difficult to, 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 to encapsulate that. I know we've already spoken for a long time already. But I do want to show you that um, he says the following. He says that... Um, He says, Minurai, Minurai Gadalni Ka'av. He says, From my youth, Umibetin Imi Ancheno. And from the time I was young to understand anything, Vagamad Zikna Veseva Lo Anicheno. And I haven't changed, even though I'm approaching the end of his, of his life. I, I should say, and again, I haven't done justice to the Ramban at all yet. But one thing I'd like to tell you is that while most of you probably know about the Ramban uh, through his uh, work on the Torah, as a commentator on the Torah, that was a work that he authored at, towards the end of his life. That was a work that he authored towards the end of his life. And he writes, these were works, you know, he had already, and he's writing as an older person. And he says, I'm still the same. <laughs> I'm not going to change. Um, and he says, what I do is, <laughs> That's what I've been doing. I'm old. And in many ways, he, he was the most respected of the Talmudists of Spain. Um, there's a Chuvas Ritva here where the Ritva is, 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 is responding to criticism that the Spaniards all in a row for three or four generations are parroting Nachmanides, are parroting the Ramban. And, and, and the Ritva says that that is actually one of our strengths is that this man set the tone for us of what the Talmud should be. Uh, and of course, they, they were not robotic uh, clones of, 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 of Nachmanides, of the Ramban. His, his yeshiva was so um, dynamic that it, it spawned what, in my mind, and, and, I, and I, again, I, I would argue against anyone represented the golden age of medieval Talmudic learning. 
that generation of Ramban, Rashba, Ritva, Ran, those, that three, four generation period is clear to me, is, is the pinnacle of the fusion of philosophic, Tosafist thought, Tosafist not philosophical, but the pilpalistic, philosophic thought, the, the ultimate uh, synthesis of, of, of brilliant Talmudic understanding occurred in that period. Now, it was Christian Spain. It was not what we call the golden age of Spain. But the father of that, of, of, of that style, of, of that fusion, of demanding a philosophical principle behind the answers. Uh, and again, you know, I mentioned before that, the, that, that, that Maimonides, the Rambam, worked assiduously to create a, a, a picture that rolled out idea followed by idea. It was logical. And if you studied this book, you had it all. The Ramban was the father of a system that was all over the place and beautifully all over the place. It was like, uh, instead of a straight line, it was a spiral that went in incredible areas. And just like, you know, if you were part of a, I'm not a video gamer, but just like if a video gamer would be getting, you know, in this game that, that, that goes for you for months and months and years and you get easter eggs and you get certain points and powers that is sort of the ramban's uh way of looking at shas it's this in- incredible spiral that has principles and points but 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 you are constantly moving and the ramban had the right to say you know he was going to be this sort of ayatollah of talmud but that's not what he was he says my whole life, what I've done is Again, the rhyme is there. Again, those of you that are following the Hebrew will see. A chokham can be praised by what he does at the end of his life. And then he's, right? That's what he has been about. Because it is they who are the principle, the basis of what study should be. They taught us. And they have, in their writings, and in their oral teachings, have set us up on the path of Torah. And I asked them how to get beyond. But in these last generations, there have been others, many others, Kulam tachkamonim. They all think that they're so smart. Shagos arayo orayot, meaning the the the, the roar of lions, the kol of aim, and the sound of of some say a, a, a lavi is a is a uh, female lion. Others say it's a young lion. Boim bekushos vahavayot. That's what everybody is doing now. Everyone thinks that they are able 
to scream out questions. Everyone believes that they are able to knock down and criticize. And they use very sharp language. Now, this seems to be a very uh, not-so-subtle dig on the provincial uh, Talmudists, who were very famous, as Yisrael Toshma has pointed out, in terms of uh, their, um, their barbs, that they would use in attacking each other. And he says, it's, there is a risen, again, the Ramban is born 1194. He died, I think, 1270 or something, maybe before that, you can look it up, 1256 or 1270. So so, so we're talking about, he's writing sometime in the, the middle part of the 13th century. He says, look what's happened. There's all these people who think that it's all about knocking the old. Um, so, Basically, what he's going to do is um, uh, they think that they are um, building new towers, but really what they are building are really parched and burnt pieces of, of, of stone. They really, um, they, they feel that they're knocking down the wisdom that can't be knocked down. Now, uh, we know that this is a reference to Zerachia, who wrote against Alfasi. Okay, so let me step back for a second and explain. Um, Alfasi, Yitzchak Alfasi, uh, also, like Maimonides, like Rambam after him, wanted to present to the world a way to have the totality of Talmudic knowledge that was relevant for the Jew post the destruction of the temple. And therefore, what he did was something that I believe was, 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 uh, was brilliant, simply brilliant. <laughs> uh, it wasn't as magnificent as what the Rambam was doing, which was to, to create, the, to, to present the Talmud in an edited, condensed fashion, preserving much of the beauty of the Aramaic and the sharpness of expression, but eliminating a lot of what we call the shaklavitaria, and basically, uh, you, you know, explain minimally what needed to be explained, but would allow people to sort of have the Reader's Digest condensed version of the Talmud. Um, but it still had, you know, ob- objection. What some people might call objectionable, racy stuff in it, but it was still in there in the riff. That was Alfasi. Um, the, provinci- the provincial um, uh, Rabbonim, Zerachia, uh, who had originally come from Spain, but was living in Lunil, his family had come from Spain, uh, the Baal HaShloma and others, all were writing works indicating mistakes that Alfasi had made, that Alfasi had left something out, Alfasi had erred. And the Ramban's whole approach was to study text to the point that what seems to have be cryptic, difficult, and incorrect really holds within it great truths. The Ramban was trained to read and parse rabbinic writing. The Talmud, specifically, but also men like the Rif. 
and his 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 greatness in Talmud was 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 unmatched, and therefore he was able to discover that the riff, although the riff did not explain things like perhaps others would have wanted him to, that the riff in his pithy remarks had actually been a hundred percent correct, and he felt that many of the uh, of the young Turks. That's a wrong term, though. But the young Turks of learning had not done their work, which was to basically submit to the difficult language of Aramaic discussion to get the cadence of how the Medrash, the Gemara, the Safrina Safra work to basically be to be aware of how much power is contained in three or four words. And instead of scratching their heads and, 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 and dismissing it, but to actually go back and realize that those words might contain a wealth of, 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 of knowledge and understanding. And that's what he writes here. He says, When I was young, I heard a guy who was a kadosh. Whether he means this tongue in cheek, I don't know. He wrote beautifully, like gold. I think that is the riff, I'm sorry. That's the kadosh medaber. The kadosh is the riff. The riff is holy. It's holy because it's, and it's short. It's, 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 it's not elaborate, but that itself is, is the holiness of the, of the, of the earlier one. It's really gold. And echad hasarim harishonim misgaber. And now one of the, um, these very bright men, lintosh, velinto, tzulahavid, and his purpose was, instead of assuming that the riff was canon, was to smack it down, was to destroy it. And therefore, lavashti kinos, I became a zealot. And I was able, because the zealotry was the energy that caused me to examine his critique. And what he did was, I looked in the books that he wrote, I listened, and I said, no, this is wrong. And I I realized that the riff's tzidkus, the riff's correctness, is what strengthened me. And I was able, a little bit of arrogance here, but I was able to restore the Torah to its proper place. Meaning, what is, what is he saying? The Balamor had written critique on the riff without... The Balamor, by the way, was 18 when he wrote his, his work. So, you know, I guess we can... We could, we could um, pardon him for his youthful exuberance that he was going to. But I, the Ramban wrote the book, which is called Melchamos Hashem, the Wars of God. He was going to fight the war 
of people that would criticize, in a sense, what someone he considered holy, and, and not just a great rabbi, but someone who was the embodiment of Talmudic thinking. That is what he felt what he was defending. And by and, and, and the Ramban went to great lengths. Those of you that are familiar with this work, Milchamos Hashem, the wars of God, will know that it's a work that's extremely uh, lengthy. Uh, and, and he... Uh, and, and he, he isn't um, venomous in his terminology, but he believes he was successful in restoring the rift to his proper place. Okay, why am I doing this? For the next sentence. Now that the, the on my face, the stars of my old age have shown, I'm now old already. Hirene Hashem, and now I've got another thing that, that I've discovered. A mimer. Now this, of course, was not the Mishnah Torah. This was a book that had been translated from Arabic into Hebrew. Uh, the book that we call the introduction to the Mishnah Torah, which, the, which is known as the Sefer Mitzvot, the book of mitzvot, where the Rambam justifies and explains what he counts as a mitzvah. And this has to do with a very Again, it's a little complex. The Rambam has a system of how his book works, and his book works by by the amount. Each section has an amount of mitzvot. So, how do you know how many mitzvot there are? So, the Rambam wrote a book to to describe how he figures out what a mitzvah is and what's not a mitzvah, and how you get the magic number six thirteen. And that was a book that the Rambam wrote because he felt otherwise people are going to be befuddled, at least the, 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 the intellectuals will be befuddled by, or maybe even some of the regular people who would find in the Mishnah Torah mitzvot that were listed that didn't align with their concept of what was considered an actual mitzvah and what was not. It really is a whole separate subject. My point, though, is, is that what the Ramban discovered was this book of the Rambam the book called Sefer Mitzvahs. And he says, it is a great book. He doesn't, he does not dismiss it in the way that he dismisses uh, Zerachia. Zerachia calls it like a person who's out to basically smash and destroy. The Rambam, on the other hand, it's a wonderful book. It's Yokor. It's great. This is, is reflective of the incredible respect Nachmanides had for the Rambam, the Rambam had for the Rambam, the Ramban had for the Rambam. He gives him a lot more props than, he, than the Balamor got. He, he doesn't call him a Kadosh, but he calls him Rav HaGodol. He calls him a Mivzar and a Migdol. He recognizes that the Rambam's work is actually something that is, is, can save, in some sense, uh, uh, Judaism. It's important that there should be this collection. It's important that that work should be there. Binyan, binyan, ain't lo cheker minyan. However, however, he says that it is a, it is, it is a, it, he has entered into an area which is so deep that no one can really figure it out. But he says, even the Rambam, the Maimar Yismarmar, he also expresses bitterness 
and cynical attack. Shug again, like these other lions, just like these young Turks, these provincial scholars <coughs> that Nachmanides felt, that the Ramban felt, had not done their homework enough. He discovered, as great as the Rambam was, he discovered within this work specifically, where he um, doesn't need to mention by name, it was obvious to anybody who was reading it at the time, that he was shooting arrows at the greats of the previous generation. Specifically, the Baal Halachos, this is Rav Shimon Kira, the author of the Baal, of the Halachos Gedolos, a Gaonic work. And Hibitzar Ma'on he didn't really stand in the width of the legs of the person that had preceded him. In other words, basically, the Rambam did not give to his predecessors enough respect and did not do the work to really understand them and know what they meant. Sofra mitzvah he did create a great book in terms of what it accomplished. But shoga bipshutais, the Rambam makes mistakes in simple ways, things that one of his youngest students would not make a mistake. And Ta'a Bibruros, he makes a mistake on something which is clear, not like uh, the Rambam. Now, Vahu Erez Bilvanon. I'm sorry. Okay. So I'm going to, um, I'm going to retract something here. That is what <laughs> that is what um, the uh, the Rambam accuses the Bahag of. He says the, that the that the Bahag and others, including Sadyagon, Rebchefetzgon, were 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 guilty of not thinking through what is technically called one of the 613 mitzvahs and did not go through the same logical progression the Rambam did with 14 principles. Vahu, and the real truth is, is that those men, especially the Bahag, is really a cedar. And no one can really compare to him. There was nothing closed that he wasn't aware of. The spirit lifted me that I needed to write a book against Rambam. But not against Rambam. But once again, to do what I did when I was young. To defend the previous generations. To depend, to defend, explain the greatness of what they meant. Vilibi Orev, and although they weren't alive at the same time, I want him to know, although the Rambam was dead by this point, Shalobo Aratachlis, that you, 
Maimonides, you, Rambam, have not gone to the ultimate of understanding. And you did not get to the Moface, meaning the, 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 the truth that was clear and undisputable. And the truth is, is that what you said in many places is totally incorrect. Now, um, he says, and this is what my cheshik is. I want to be a student. I want to fulfill their words. I want to set their words up. I want their words to live. Now, let me explain something. He invested in their words a philosophical depth that they perhaps couldn't even articulate. But he felt that what he had done at the end was be able to take those words that of the previous generations and wear them as an incredible uh, accoutrement around his neck. And he says, but don't think I am a chamor no se sifreyim. Don't think that I'm just a donkey. Don't think all I am is just a, uh, an apologist who's just basically saying, oh, if he said it, it's got to be true. Tomid evchar darkam I always, in a way, am critical. I know who they are, and I can, I'm willing to admit where this doesn't seem to jive. So again, he, don't accuse me of just being an apologist. Where I don't, my thoughts, I can't really grasp Um what it is there about, Adon Lefeneim Bekarka. I will interact with them. I will try to maybe suggest some possibility for them. Eshpot Lamara Enai. But I will judge ultimately things based from my own knowledge. Ubalocha Brura Le'esa Ponem If I believe that the halacha is against them, the ideas are against them, I do not lie for anyone. I do not own up and, and, and just parrot words that are untrue for anyone. And the reason is, is because even though I believe these predecessors of the Rambam were indeed holy, were indeed deep in ways that they perhaps, I am saying, wouldn't be able to articulate it in a language the Ramban was comfortable with, because the Ramban sort of understood things in a philosophical way that I don't think Shimon Kira, uh, the Bahag, or even the Rif thought, but there was the, the, the depth of the idea was contained in the simple way that those earlier people had said it. However, the Ramban is saying, in many ways, I could also be something new, and I'm not I'm not against developing something which has never been said. Because God gives wisdom always. Don't get me wrong, the Ramban says. I am not saying that the door of wisdom is closed. And all that's expected of us is to kowtow. There are ideas of thought and understanding 
that are brand new, that can be given at any time. And especially for those, well, you want to but look at these last two words, people who, who walk with tmimus, who walk in, and it's not simplicity, like echotam, it's 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 and 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 it's you know a tamim is someone who feels a sense of bitachon in God, a sense of that he can trust in God, that that God will lead him in the right way, and that there is a truth here. Well, so um, sincerity, yes, sincerity, and also a belief in that greater system that the truth is somewhere there. I think again, you know, this is similar. Um, I'm sure you are, many of you are familiar with um, uh, the the Cohen brothers' film, A Serious Man, which of course uh, quotes uh, the Rashi on Tomim Tiam Hashem Elokecha. I'm not sure the English translation that they use there, but I know when I saw the film, I know that I <laughs> I, I was thinking about what Tmimus uh, means. <laughs> yes, definitely a great film. And I think it starts with the idea of what Tmimus is. And and, and Tmimus does not mean a Tam. Uh, you know, there's some who interpret Echad Tam in the, in the four uh, sons as someone who isn't capable of thinking properly. It needs things very simplistic. The Ramban is is, is, is a Holech Tamim. And I think when I just want to end with this, the genius of the Ramban was to be able within those strictures to discover the true spirit, the powerful spirit of the Talmud in ways that throughout this book that we are looking at the introduction, he berails the, I don't know if that's a word, but he upbraids the Rambam for not doing his Talmud work. The Rambam is very selective, like we, like, like his son says. If he needs to, he'll, he'll get it off the shelf. And there's a statement there that backs him up. He's ready uh, to, to use it. Yeah, berates. Yes, he is ready to, 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 to use the Talmud, but also to ignore the Talmud when necessary. And if there's a point that he needs to make, whether it's about um, the laws of uh, of, 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 of hugging and kissing uh, uh, before marriage, or other places where we know Maimonides, the Rambam, is the Machmir. The Rambam says that any sort of hugging, kissing, petting, all of that is uh, is, is, is usr from the Torah. And, and the Ramban, Kabbalist that he was, holy man that he was, proves from the Talmud from the reading of the Gemara in Shabbat, Shabbat, that that he missed the boat. Um, I I can just show that to you. I'm just going to show you that place where he he says, Rambam, do your homework. He says, if you would read the the Talmud in Mesechet Shabbat and Dafyid Gimel, you would realize that you're wrong about this. Um, I think I have it here in one of my documents, which I'll share with you. As he says, um, Harav, this is his, his critique. The, Maimonides, the Rambam, quotes uh, the, the statement in 
what we call the Midrash Elocha, the Torah Kohanim, the Safra, which is the great book of, of, of Midrashim, Halachic Midrashim. So the Rambam quotes that book. And that book, to him, is the source, the way he reads it, for the clear uh, injunction against uh, hugging, kissing, petting, fooling around, necking, that it's all, that if anyone who does that is violated a love from the Torah itself. Now, Okay, well, I'll get to Miriam's question in a second. I just want to see this. But he says, <laughs> If you read the Talmud properly, yes, let me read the sentence before. <laughs> he found this Torah's Kohanim, okay? <laughs> and therefore, <laughs> so what he did was, he, he ends up saying a very major statement, and he can hang it on a big tree, meaning, oh, you see, Torah's Kohanim says it. And the Torah's Kohanim is obviously a book that we we want on our shelf to look at, because in many ways, it is the original of many of the Brises in the Talmud. But the Torah, you don't paskin from the Torah's Kohanim. You don't paskin from the, from the Mechilta. Kefi ha'iyun b'Talmud eina dover if you look in the Talmud, you'll see that that's not true. And then he quotes the Gemara in Shabbos. He goes through the Shakla Vitari of the Gemara. And, and he says, here, that if that Brisa that you quote, Mr. Rambam, <laughs> Rabbi Rambam, if you if that brisa was something that the Talmud understood to be true, Vahoyudvarenu, they and, and, and Padas, the Amora, would have been arguing with that. You know what the Gemara does. Let's see if this works. Just because you found a a, a source in the Tanatic material does not mean you can use that as a bat in halakha. Because the way to test it is, is it brought in Bavli as a, as a source? And they would have said Mesve, and they would have made it to Yufta. Since the Talmud did not quote the Brisa that you found, Navin mehem. Well, we understand this. It's not that they knew the you, you didn't. You, they didn't know the brisa. They knew about it, but it was clear to them that the brisa was speaking from a rabbinic nature. And therefore, ein medrish And therefore, and he says vaharbe maod and the truth is, is that if you, again, you're very selective, Rambam, but anyway, don't try to over, uh, don't try to outdo me in terms of Safra and Sifrei, because there's many places there where there are, it seems, actual drashot on Psukim, and we know that's just rabbinic. There's, the Safra and the Sifrei are, 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 are books that aren't explained 
completely on the page, and many times the statements there just reflect an asmachta. And therefore, what the Rambam has done is ignore the main battleground of where halacha needs to sprout from, which is the Talmud, which is what the Ramban knew about and the Ramban lived with. And in that way, he felt that despite the accolades that he deserves, the the Ramban's genius, and I'm going to use another movie metaphor here, and I'll end with this, and then I'll take your questions if, if you're still interested. Um, you're, you're all familiar with what's the Hayes Code, right? There's the pre-code, of course, the pre-code films. And I have to tell you, if you do have a TCM um, uh, access to it, they, they do show a lot of pre-code films. And a lot of them are, because of the, 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 the quality of the film and because of the, the production values, a lot of them are really just, you know, um, not that great. The, but they are scandalous in the sense that there's pregnancies, there's, there's, there's before marriage, there's fooling around, there's even giving the finger. There's, there's stuff that you can find in the pre-code films. And of course, the, the, the Hollywood moguls re- realized that the board of, of Catholic mothers or the bishops would start censoring the films because, you know, Barbara Stanwyck was taking off her clothes all the time and all these films. And, and basically, you know, everybody was, you know, there had to be your, your cheesecake uh, uh, thing. So, oh, we need to, we, what we need to do is, you know, we, we have to cancel that out. And there can't be uh, any indication that people are actually sleeping together in bed. Uh, you can't show a toilet, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, the, the bad guy can't escape. All of these things that were part of the code till about, um, I guess, um, you know, the pawnbroker uh, was made in the early 1960s, broke a lot of that. And of course, in Europe, they didn't have the code. In my mind, those men who worked even with the code's restrictions and produced incredible films that implied ideas, right? <laughs> Is the movie Rope any less brilliant because they couldn't say homosexual uh, outright? <laughs> it's actually even more brilliant when you have these restrictions that you're working with. And, and what you're able to produce is, 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 is you have to marvel at that. To erase the whole blackboard and, and, and write this incredible edifice is genius. And it means a logical mind. It means someone who is very firm and, and great confidence in ideas and, and, and obviously spends a lot of time thinking about how to articulate ideas. But what the Ramban does, his genius, is something that is, 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 is to really find the life in the existing structure, to find underneath where everyone thought was just uh, something that was encrusted and, and insignificant, to actually be able to discover their greatness and, and to, to ensure that the Talmud itself would continue to be this powerful living engine that really contained within it brilliance that you didn't have to insert into it you know, an Aristotelian or philosophic take. It was something that really expanded organically out of those sources. And in that way, despite, you know, he seems like just a defender, that he's just a critic and a defender, I believe that a case can be made 
that his genius was in a sense superior to Maimonides, to Rambam. Anyway, that is my, that's my uh, schmooze for you. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was, that was fantastic. Um, would you like to take some questions now? You said you, we had spoken about a, a, giving an example of, of mezuzah. Oh, okay. I can, I can do that. Um, let me see what Miriam had a question, right? Um, yes, thank you. Um, you write, doesn't it come... Okay, Walter, we'll get to you in a second. Doesn't it come from very different ways both of them have access to traditional Talmudic studies? Yes. Uh, again, I, I was sort of building that in the beginning, Miriam, that you know the, the Ramban has Rabbeim in Kabbalah and Halacha that we know about. Um, whereas Maimonides is really you know thinking about it on his own. I don't know if his, I don't think his father sat with him and learned. I think he he poured over the notes of the Rimigash that his father the, the, the class notes, and he was basically learning on his own. Um, and, and and I think that is true. Um, the access was different, and I think the access was in a way, um, you know, inferior that the Rambam had. Uh, the Ramban not only studied in a group, but he taught in a group, much bigger than nine students. <laughs> I am sure the, the Barcelona yeshiva where Nachmanides studied and developed his ideas, he was surrounded by two of the greatest of the next generation, Aderet, Shoma ben Aderet, and Aaron Alevi, the Rashp and the Ra'ah. And, and, and that's just those two. You can imagine, those were the two tops. There must have been, you know, I would say probably 40 or 50 students of, of, of a great caliber that, that the Ramban was able to teach to and to gain from and to, and to build his own mind from. So I think that that, that I think, is... is, is uh, let me see what else we have here. Um, okay, so one of the things, okay, so in this way, uh, Miriam, uh, Rambam, the Rambam and the Ramban are, 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 are a little bit on the same page. Uh, both of them would like the riff to be the primary beginning of things. Uh, uh, Rambam does pretty much, um, you know, throw out uh, a lot of the Gaonic uh, explanations on things. Uh, and, and, and he does so um, with a sort of historical lie that, um, that there was so much um, wars and battles and, and that they lost the Masora um, from, from Ravina and Ravashi, uh, from the later, the people who closed the Talmud. And there was this great um, sort of like, uh, you know, um, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but a, 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 it was sort of like a, zombie land where where everything where people didn't know what was going on and and, and therefore the great Masora was lost and it was only great men like Alfasi uh, in North Africa and Rimigash who were able to restore it and therefore you know the, the, the Rambam was able like the riff before him to pretty much ignore much of Gaonic works and um, clearly the Ramban at least for some of them like the Shiltos and the Bahag and others, he felt that those were works that still were holy, and we were lucky that they were preserved. And um, he was more ready to find um, greatness there. What I would say, Miriam, is that he probably put gave more credence to works of Gaonim, like Shiltos 
and, and Bahag than to actual responsa of Gaonim. In other words, responsum are always a, a tough thing to know how definitive they are. And those were floating around everywhere because as you know, they made, you know, they made the, the, the route over North Africa from uh, Iraq and the answers went everywhere. Uh, th- they weren't meant, this response of the Gaonim weren't meant to be chiburim. So I, I think Ramban also probably didn't uh, feel he needed to worry too much about responsum of the Gaonim. But I think he felt that the works that they had constructed were works that needed to be taken extremely serious. And you needed to give them the benefit of the doubt. You have to assume you're wrong first, which is the exact opposite of what the Rambam felt. <laughs> the Rambam felt that, uh, you know, it's clear that they're wrong. Next, next case. Okay, I hope that answers your question as far as that goes. That's fantastic. Yes, that's, that's fantastic. So, um, just one clarification. Where the uh, shooting of the Gaonim, what was the journey of the shooting of Gaonim that you just mentioned? So what I said was, is that the questions would be asked from, um, from all over. Again, the, the whole Gaonic system was an anathema, as you know, to the Rambam. The Rambam felt it was really stupid. It was, it, was, it was actually, it was frustrating the, the growth of learning everywhere else. And it, it, was, it siphoned the best minds of Europe and North Africa. They would, they would be sent to study in the Gaonic yeshivot. And then they would go to these far-flung developing communities as students representing that yeshiva, but also as, as glorified mishulochim collecting for those for yeshiva and monies and students would be sent back to Sura and Pumpadisa and, and 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 many times questions would go on if you look like 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 that path of North Africa the questions would go and at every stop at every Jewish community the question was copied and then sent on. That's why the Cairo Geniza is so full of Gaonic material because Cairo, or Fastat, was one of the stops as you went further west in Africa. But every time it stopped in Cairo, they said, all right, well, we got to go, we got to go copy this over, then I'll give it to you. And, and therefore, they copied and copied and copied. And then, as you know, they, everything got stored in the Geniza, and everything was, was a, and, and because of the fickleness of fate, that's where everything was discovered. And it was a treasure trove of, of rotting uh, papyrus and some of it not so rotting and all of different, from all different. And, and again, you have to figure out who wrote what. And, and that's, that is how we know uh, the, path, uh, the path went. And those were the chuvos of the Gaonim. And, and that's why when they discovered the Cairo Geniza, people like Louis Ginsburg and others, uh, Simchasaf, Rav Simchasaf and others, were able to mine them for... Uh, a lot of incredible, interesting material. Some of that made its way all the way to, to Europe as well, to Spain as well. But Ramban, as far as I know, uh, does not give that much credence to it. I think, I think he gives people the benefit of the doubt, especially if they are studied by others, that their works are significant and that we should really assume that there was more wisdom than you think. Okay, let me see what else we have. They both beat the prudish Yosef Cairo. Um, are you talking about uh, about Losikravu? Is that what you mean? I, I mean, in general, sexuality, I would think. Or I mean... Uh, okay, you're saying that... Rambam might have been a machmir on, on, on premarital, um, you know, uh, touching or whatever, but he was certainly more, way more liberal than the Shulchan Aruch is on, 
what what could be done after marriage, right? Uh -huh. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. I, 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 in other words, from Hilchas Snias and stuff. Okay. I, I, yeah. I will look again. Rabbi Yosef Cairo is one of the heroes of uh, of Judaism in many ways. Sure. Um, was he deaf? Is the, the the his mindset colored by you know a lot of Zoharic uh, terminology and ideas about what 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 human sexuality should be? Yes. Um, was he an incredible machmir and prudish? Again, yeah. again, I, I would yeah. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure if I could say that he was a prude. However, I think he did probably. You're right. It's more than yeah. You, by the way, again. Yeah, this I, I, again. I, yeah, I, mean, I with would, respect, of course. I mean. say, okay. Any other questions? Yes, I had a question. Okay, is this the last? Is this the last question here on this in the chat? Let's see. No. There's a few people that had their hands raised. Okay, I'm sorry to notice that. Who who had their hand raised besides that? I think Omar had a question. Well, oh, I, I'm sorry. That that was by accident. No, I'm just listening right now. Thank you. I had a question related to the sub subject. Okay, go ahead. Okay, um, so I have you ever heard of the scholar James A. Diamond? Um, I'm not familiar. No, he's an academic scholar, and he he treats um, the Rambam. He I heard him in a lecture say a very provocative thing. It's a bit of a provocateur, but he said that it's no exaggeration to say, in his estimation, there's no exaggeration to say that the Rambam and the Ramban. I don't even want to say, it, but. The, that they serve two different gods. Their conception of religion, God, purpose of creation was so <laughs> wide apart that, that okay. he, they wouldn't have even davened in each other's minion. Um, yeah. But they can't be, right? I mean, do you do you realize do you? Okay, do I? What would I say to that statement? Yeah. Look, I, I lo look. There's a reason why I'm sitting here in a attic in Elizabeth and not uh, having a um, a position in a, a university or you know being on a book tour. And part of the reason is uh, is that I don't necessarily believe in provocative statements. Although I I if I I I would agree in substance that their conceptions of things was was quite different. I wouldn't say it's a totally different God. Um, in, in fact, um, you know, I I I think it's more a one way street. Okay, let me put it that way. I think if I, I think that the that they're pushing me on this, but this is what I would say. I think if the Rambam could X-ray uh, Nachmanides' mind, he would say, "Boy, that uh, I don't know what that guy's thinking about. That guy is really—he's smart, but he is totally off, and and he's he's got voodoo in his head. I mean, he has really got the wrong sense of things. I, I have Rachmanus on him. I mean, he's 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 missed it." I think on the other hand, I think Ramban was able to pick out cogently aspects of the Rambam's uh, ideology and philosophy that he felt could align with normative Judaism quite well. Uh, his famous letter to the, uh, even in Sharagmu, again, listen, uh, somebody was here who said they listened to some of my shiram. And again, I want to tell you that we have, we have 33 episodes of Ramban versus Ramban. Wow. Okay, so it's 33 oh. episodes on our, uh, you can search on our uh, podcast site. Um, I can put it in the chat and you can find it. Um, Definitely and, looking forward to that. Yeah, so, uh, so there are many, 
so what I would say is is that the in in the letter I'm sorry in his in his Torah Sa'adam, he says the Rambam got it right about the bonding of the mind slash soul to the ultimate seichel apoel of God. Uh, he he eschews those terminologies which he feels are foreign. But the basic idea that there's something eternal called, you know, th- th- within your mind that, that can grasp and, 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 and live in abstract concepts that can be part of the greater idea itself, he believes is a perfect metaphor and is actually true for what, the, what we call Gan Eden, where the soul is sort of like bonding with God and siphoning or absorbing and becoming, readying itself for a stage which, which of course, the Rambam feels is scratching his head about, which is Tchias Amesim and this super world in the future, which he believes is, 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 is fantasy. He believes it's, again, it comes really from a, a hammer and a mallet that he took to Chazal. Olam Abba does not mean the world to come. That's just another way of saying it's happening here, but Chazal used this term for all the plebes who can't really understand anything, but really this is the world after death. And that's what they mean. They don't mean that there's some astrological world that's ready to come into. That, that, again, that's an example of, of, of the Rambam's inability to fathom and to ever even accept that that, that could be true. But it's really built more on that. It's really built on his 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 disgust, so to speak, for the body and for his sense of how the body. Uh, it, it, where could you ever? He says it's the it's it's the it's the pinnacle of idiocy to think that the body has some role in this great bonding with God. The body is the opposite of of of, of God. Anyway, so all of this. It, Thus, I would say it's one way. I would say the Rambam would go tisk tisk on the Ramban. The, the, the man is is right. He's who knows. He's he, I don't know if he. I I won't daven in his shul. <laughs> but I think the Ramban. That far you think is true. But I think the Ramban would daven in the Rambam shul. Yeah. Well, he certainly has the ultimate reverence for him. We can't say that he would. I mean, right? But but he also applies to the Rambam the typical tools. That he always uses, which is to to respect and finding the element again. He, he is he is the greatest critic because he salvages the best. We live in an era, you know, where where we should heed the Ram the Ramban's words. Everyone is about canceling, breakdown, smash the other. Right? That right? That is, is he can't stand that. Because it, it comes from young people's hubris. And, 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 and like I said, it, it, it can be a manifesto in my mind of, of how to think and be critical and respectful. Anybody else? Okay. Well, you I have another follow-up? I had one more question. If, Isaac, if you can indulge me, I was holding in. I, I was. Okay. Um, so I give you an example. I know they, they have, both have a similar treatise on I think it might be on um on um was it Triasamesim or something where the Rambam is he talks about he talks about the Torah 
as coming to enlighten a world steeped in paganism um, and, 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 and the belief in magic even. Um, and, and he describes, I think, the Sabian culture. He, yes. he quotes, right? He quotes the, and the Ramban quotes the same thing with respect to the Ramban. He quotes the Ramban. He, he and he, it's almost like he lends credence to, okay. to that there right. was something to all right. magic. Okay, so, all right. Um, all right. We all, okay, so the Sabians and this whole cult that the Ramban, that the Rambam invents, he didn't invent it because he found their works. But unlike modern scholarship that dates paper with carbon dating and really looks for the provenance of, of, of archaeology, he believed that this book that was really a product of the high Middle Ages was an accurate representation of what life was like in the time of Avram Avinu in biblical times. And using this forgery, the Rambam in Maher basically uses it as Eureka. Now I understand what all these mitzvahs are about. Right. Now, Nachman, the Ramban, was not from the 20th century or the 19th century, 18th century. He also uh, believed that these, this work was ancient. He just doesn't believe that it's, you should use it as a primer to sort of figure stuff out. But he, he will quote from it. And the Rambam is his gateway to find it. Unlike the Rambam, who, who did the research and found this book, the Ramban, the Ramban was too busy. So he quotes things from the Rambam and is definitely influenced by him. And he will use, like, he will use things that the Rambam has already brought into, uh, into our, uh, into the classroom. So in that way, yes, he does in a way borrow and other stuff. Yitzchok, I don't know if you wanted me to do the thing about mezuzah or not. I can show you, uh, but it's up to, I, I can show you here a place where I believe I've discovered a very similar borrowing and, and you can see the subtle difference. If you want to, if you, if you want to see it, I can do that for you now. I have a question, though. Sure. Go ahead. But I don't Who think is... you got the point of my question, but yeah, okay. Okay, okay. I didn't get the point. So no, no. The I, I was just to reframe it. it. It seems that the Ramban, aside from what he he, he fully lends credence to the book that's the book of agriculture of, 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 of yes, of, uh, yes. And, he, and it's funny because they both have two completely different readings. Here, he he, you know, the Rambam is saying that we get a picture, a glimpse into the times of Avram Avinu where people were so. Oh. Uh, oh, okay. And okay. believing foolish right. things. And the Ramban is, is lending credence to magic and saying it's native to Judaism and it's the philosophers that are, that are an alien uh, import. Okay, I, you'd have to send me that. I, I do know, again, that they both use, put it this way, the Ramban did not have a copy. Whatever he, whatever he had, it was from what he read in the Ramban. And, um, and he had his own way of using it. I don't, I'm not familiar with this thing about magic specifically, but I'm, I'd be intrigued. You can always send me, uh, you yeah. have my email, uh, and you can always send it to me. Uh, was that Nechi? Yeah, okay. So it seems to me that through generations, the, Ram, the Rambam uh, was rehabilitated. I mean, it was close to being in Cherem. Now we say, me Moshe and Moshe lo come Moshe. So what what was the process that rehabilitated the Rambam from where he was 
to, to today where he's considered so holy? What, what do you, how do you explain that process? Okay, okay. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I actually would like to just tell you, Mimosha and Moshe, I would like to say that it's the Rambam and the Ramban, those two. In Moshe ad Moshe, like come to Moshe. To me, that's, that, that to me is, is a better way of stating it. From these two, we really haven't had anyone that's really in that league. But okay. But you want to know, as we know, uh, Sarachek and others have written great books about the Maimonidean controversies. And they did erupt. And they erupted uh, in the Rambam's lifetime. You're correct in Spain. It erupted again twice in, I know, I'm saying uh, in Provence. Um, and, and, and those controversies um, were intense. But what you should realize is, is that they never, as, as, as much as there were definitely Rabbonim who felt that the Rambam was very close to not believing in, in, in Tkios Amesim, that the Sefer Mada should be excommunicated and not be studied. There was never a universal uh, condemnation of the Rambam. In fact, there was a lot of pushback. The, the Rambam, a- after his death, primarily through provincial scholars, became even more popular and was more widely read. Um, he, at the end of his life, in those letters, uh, um, communicated with them, and they did their utmost to spread the ideas of Maranavuchim, and it became extremely popular in Provence and in Spain. And, um, uh, and therefore, he was never really out of bounds completely. In fact, uh, his attackers were attacked for for impunging the, the, the credibility and the greatness of, of, of this man. So he never really was, was possible. He never really was ever in a state where nobody's learning him. And I think that the Mishnah Torah just ended up becoming stronger and stronger, not in the way the Rambam had envisioned it, but as, an, as one of the alternate key places to look at. And, and that came, again, primarily through Provence, because they loved him, and they loved his, his Mishnah Torah as well. And therefore, works like from David HaKochli, of the Sefer Abatim and others, included the Hagos Maimani, was also from Provence. They did their utmost to spread the study of the Mishnah Torah as a definitive text. Um, we all know, of course, of the Talmud burning uh, that occurred uh, in, 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 in France. And when that occurred, uh, it's very famous uh, that, that Rabbeinu Yonah had said that uh, this was a, 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 a God was punishing uh, the Jews for their attack on the Rambam. Um, again, I don't know if it's really true that he said it, but there was definitely this, I, what I will say did happen is that when the Talmud became scarce in the 13th century, that also led, even in a place like the, the place of the Balei Tosfasen, it led to an increase to the study of the Rambam's works and a demand for getting the Rambam's works. The Talmud was verboten. 
You couldn't have a Talmud. And therefore, the Rambam became a, a much more of a, of a common text. Now, the Moranavuchim, however, uh, was, again, here you have, uh, um, it, it, there was an ability to bifurcate. There was an ability, there were definitely provincial scholars that considered it a crucial text that everyone had to study. But I, I don't believe it ever received like a universal acclaim and acceptance and study. There was definitely, uh, it wasn't, <laughs> and therefore, just to answer your question again, he didn't really need revivication. Um, he was, okay. Any other questions? One one last thing. I once discovered something from the Rambam that blew Ramban, that blew my mind. I wonder how you he describes Olam Haba. He describes Gan Eden as being a physical place. And he claims that there's a there's a in his day there was some kind of magician who went and discovered it and he describes like a, a, a cycling uh, swords and all that. I mean how did... uh, again, I'm. I, I, I think in Sharagmul he describes. Yeah, it, Sharagmul, right, he describes right. it. I think in spiritual terms. I, no. I think. I think he. I think he says that there's a Gan Eden, two Gan Edens. There's a Gan Eden down here, and there's a Gan Eden that it's that it's a spiritual twin of Gan Eden. Maybe that's again. No, but, okay. I think the, that's what he means. Specific one that I saw. He's just, he he says this is it's a well known fact that this discoverer went and discovered some. I think he, I think he's talking about the original Ganadin as opposed to the Ganadin after after the one that the soul goes to after death. Okay. Right, but he describes it as a very fanciful with with swinging uh, spinning swords and. You have to show me that quote. Yeah. Okay. You have to I, show me that quote. I again, you know, again, remember he he did study under Isaac uh, 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 of the blind. Uh, or no, as real of Garona, he did study under these Kabbalists, and um, you know, again, he was not. He does sprinkle a lot of his work with Kabbalistic illusions to the point that that for years, Kabbalists studied his work as a primary, the same type of work he did on the Rif and the Bahag, where every word was parsed and you have to see the genius and what's what's containing. That's what people did to him. The Kabbalistic sections of his work, the stuff that was edited out by Rabbi Yaakov Ben Arosh. You know, the tour wrote a book, uh, uh, I have it right here, uh, a book on um, the uh, Chumash, where he basically took out all the Kabbalistic sections of Nachmanides. Those Kabbalistic sections were studied like the, in the same method the Ramban developed for studying the Great Ones. And they became primary Kabbalistic Texts uh, for years until the Zohar was 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 became was replaced it. But the Ramban was right. So therefore, it's possible what you're referring to is the type of anthropomorphic terminology that might you might find in some early Kabbalists. I I, I don't know, but I, I'm saying we shouldn't be surprised uh, if that is the case. But he, in general, his his regular flow is that there is spiritual phenomena taking place everywhere by him he says that he takes magic to be a native thing and he says that anytime you, you're familiar oh, I okay all right the break uh, with nature that brings uh, them to the first cause and right uh, okay so this gets into a whole different discussion about the okay. nature of of miracle and the okay. nature of, of 
of what nature is. And this is another place that the Rambam is shackled by his scientific understanding. And right. again, they, look, the Ramban treated people as a doctor as well. I don't know if he wrote any medical treatises, but he understood he wasn't a guy with a bone in his nose and, you know, sprinkling uh, pepper, right, right, right. However, he did not, and this came from a deep uh, philosophical uh, understanding, his philosophy, meaning his, his sense that, yes, magic was not a phony. The ideas of, again, remember what the Rambam says. The Rambam says all of this stuff that the Torah goes on and on about. Balov, it's not, right? It's, it, it's either a fake, it's, it's, it's an illusion, it's a dream. Psychosis. It's all phony. Right. Who sounds more correct in the spirit of the Torah? I'm not saying that you agree with, but who I, sounds I, more correct? Sure. Ramban. The Rambam is the one sure, who is, sure. is forcing his opinion onto this. And the sources that he uses, like the book of the, the, the book of natural farming of the, of the, of whatever is in the Sabians, is a forgery, is, is, a, is, 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 is crack. Okay. So if, if you would ask me who's probably right, is, is there really magical forces? I would say, yeah, the Ramban is right. I believe in the Torah. So therefore, I believe in what the Ramban says. But then the question begs the question, as the Ramban asks, he's almost shocked. How is it that the Ramban is saying such things? They seem to contradict clear statements of the Torah. That's he, right. Right? So they, it's, it's just fascinating. It, it, it definitely is. And I think it goes back to Miriam's point. And really, and, you know, and what I was, that's why I took the pains to sketch their life story a little bit, at least the, Ramban, the Rambam's life story. I don't think the Rambam could have happened any other way. Had he been born somewhere else, right? Right? What 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 do they say in JC Superstar, right? Um, you know, you know, you know what, what do you say in a, had he come today to reach the nation, right? Um why did he pick such a strange time and such a strange place and such right that Andrew Lloyd Webber, such a strange time and such a strange place. That's where he was, and that's what he became was incredible. But had he been somewhere else. Had he been fostered and raised somewhere else, you know, would he have been a, would he have been a rebel and rejected, or would he have been able to somehow become privy to to what I think is the true Torah wisdom? Um, right. It's possible. Raymond, did, did you want to do the thing on mezuzah? Okay, I'll do that. Quickly. Okay, so let, let let me show you this. Um, okay, so. Um, here is a, um, a piece of, am I sharing? Not yet. Okay, let me share a screen. Okay, it's supposed to be 45 minutes. Okay, here we go. Um, <laughs> okay, here we go. All right, so now you see this. Um, Um, he says, um, the reason why we have uh, such strictness of, of chametz on Pesach 
And the reason why a person did not actually become part of the Korban Pesach, uh, he, he gets cut off, karet. He says it's because these principles are, um, these principles are crucial. These principles are essential. And as he says here, that um, they are principles that we left Egypt, we left Mitzrayim. And those principles of how we left Mitzrayim through Moshe's orchestrating those miracles are the principles of the Torah. Those are Edim Nemonim, that God exists, and the Torah is correct. Because the Torah means God is communicating with mankind, communicating with man and telling him what, what he should do. And that, of course, is what happened in Yitzhak Mitzrayim, in the, in the Exodus from Mitzrayim. We saw God acting on behalf of creation and a prophet, Moshe Rabbeinu, describing what was going to happen. Okay. And since miracles aren't going to happen in every generation, not because of the way the Rambam would explain it, because miracles are sort of set into you know, certain set places, like the Rambam has a whole difficulty in understanding how miracles work. The Ramban has to say that God isn't going to do miracles just for everybody today. So therefore, he commands us to place a zikaron in, of, of what we have seen <clears throat> um, and, and to describe it, to make it primary in our lives, to spend the whole night speaking about it and every single day speaking about it. And if somebody will eat chametz, he gets the death sentence for eating a piece of bread because in a way that's denying the significance of what Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is, which is this great touchstone of belief. And if a person isn't decides he could be part of the sacrifice, the Paschal Lamb sacrifice, and he isn't, then he's also cut off. And what we need to do, he says, is to write everything that we have seen, or at least phrases from the Torah that describe miracles that we have seen, and to put them on our hands and put them between our eyes. And here's the part I want to zero in on. And to write them on our our doorstops. And to also mention them every day. And there are many, many mitzvot, he says, that as we know, herald us and tether us back to the exodus and the miracles that occurred there. Because the miracle, although miracle is going to be played down eventually, when the miracle erupted, they laid the groundwork for the possibility of divine intervention and divine command and divine punishment for actions. And that is the core Jewish belief. And we, and we, and, and we, 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 we set ourselves up in this in a way that this should be something that should never be uh, uh, forgotten. And this way, the fact that we stay so strong in these ritualistic acts, the type of denial will not, not rear its head, and people will not deny God's existence. Now he says, if a person purchases a mezuzah, 
Hakona mezuzah bezuz echad. This is a person who purchases a mezuzah for one dollar, let's say, and he puts it on his door. And he thinks about what does this mean, these first two chapters of the Shema, Shema and Hoyim Shemoa. What does that mean that I'm putting it on my door? That means I already admit that God is the creator of the world and that God knows what I'm doing and that God cares for what I'm doing and will punish and it's also a belief that God can speak to human beings like a Moshe and tell them what they need to know. So when you put that mezuzah on, knowing what's contained within those two sections, you now believe, you now believe in the essential principles of the Torah. Okay. That is what the Ramban writes. Okay. Next time you put your mezuzah up, you can look at that. It's clear to me that this writing, and it is powerful, is a reworking of a section of the Mishnah Torah. I'm going to show you that section right now and show you the contrast. The Mishnah Torah that I'm referring to is... Okay. This is Machal Mamre, which is the easiest way to get to the Rambam. And if we go here to Sefer Ahava and Hilchos Tefillin and Mezuzah, if we go to... Okay. Here is the Rambam in the uh, sixth chapter of the Laws of Mezuzah, which, by the way, is called the Laws of Tefillin, Mezuzah, and Sefer Torah. He puts them all together. Again, logical. Okay, here's the Rambam. A person needs to be very careful about a mezuzah because everyone needs to put it up. And any time you walk into your house or leave your house, what you end up really bumping into, so to speak, is the idea of God being one. Okay, God is one. And you remember what it says, that you need to bond to God. You need to think philosophically and want to connect to him because he's the greatest being. And by doing that, you'll wake up from your, not literal sleep, but your figurative sleep. And your silliness. And you're just fumbling around in the things of time that are that are worthless. This, this expression is mirrored when the Rambam explains the purpose for blowing the shofar. He says it's also to wake you up from the hevle azman. It's, it's really almost the exact same terms. I'll show you in a minute. But what is it when you look, when you bump into that mezuzah? I'm walking into my house. Here's my mezuzah. I'm walking out. There's nothing that will last forever and ever. Only the knowledge of the creator of the world. That's what lasts. Think about it. This is your house, your domicile, the place where you live, the place that represents permanence. Now you're leaving the house. 
You're going out to work. You're going to be productive in the, in the community. Something stops you at that moment. Looking at the mezuzah. You look at the mezuzah and you know it's in there, although it's covered. God, knowledge. I'm going to die, but I'm not going to die. Because there's something here that will last forever. There's something here that can last forever, beyond forever. And that, of course, is the eternality of ideas that I can be connected to. And now he's no longer a believer in this evil that, 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 that the 70 years you have here means everything and getting the mortgage paid and getting that thesis written or whatever it is that you're working on means something. Now you can actually go back and say, I saw the mezuzah, right? And now, although you are going to live a, a life and you're going to interact with people, but you have this, you have this vaccine that you have that you, that's, that's in your system that uh, what's really important that will give you eternal life, knowledge of God and, and, and connection and love to God. That's why the rabbis say if you have a tefillin on your head and tzitzis on your uh, garment, but specifically the mezuzah on your door, these aren't sort of like um, uh, uh, what we would call um, you know, uh, superstitious talismans. It's clear that he will not sin. Why won't he sin? Because if you understand the idea of mezuzah, how can you sin when you realize this is worth nothing? The only thing that's worth anything is becoming a a, a holy philosopher. That's what I need to be. Though that's what it means, a malach. It says there's a malach that saves you. There's no malach. The malach is really what that these mitzvahs act as as mezuzah specifically acts as a way to implant in your mind the greatness of what your soul and your seichel can be. And that's the malach that we're talking about that somehow protects you, the mezuzah. Okay. So to me, the contrast, the similarity is there, but the contrast is, is, is extreme. Whereas the Rambam is talking about very much within his own principles, which is Yichud Hashem, and basically the idea that what's all, all that's left of you is your mind and your soul, the Ramban isn't talking about bumping into it uh, every time you leave your house, but rather what he's saying is, is that when you put that mezuzah on and you establish it, you are saying that this is what I believe. The principles of the Torah, the principles of Skarva Onesh, the principles of Nevuah. So I think you see that, the, again, the, the Ramban is really talking about much more the standard, important ideas that, that the Torah as we know it is built on, where the Rambam is really pretty much, again, you know, um, using it, uh, you know, for his philosophical uh, description of what the purpose of, of man's life is, as opposed to the principles of what the Torah is built on. So I think that they both are talking about how significant the mezuzah is, but I think in the Ramban, it's more like, this is what my house is. You see, I put it on my house. That's what it means when I put it there. And the Rambam is really, again, it's like, I, I think the, the Ramban 
borrows from the Rambam the significance, the ultra significance of what the mezuzah means, but I think he's interpreting it and explaining it much more, in my mind, uh, much more in line with, you know, uh, what I, I think the normal uh, Torah perspective. But I think it is an interesting place to contrast these dueling anadids. Okay. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.